Jones. Shut the door and crank up your headphones. It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the Internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Karen Cavallero here to announce show number 51 with guest Scott Henselman, recorded live February 20th, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And by Peter Bloom, superior ASP.NET validation controls that fit your budget. Online at P-E-T-E-R-B-L-U-M dot com. And now, the man who has time to wash his hair every morning, Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Thanks to the listeners, thank you, and thanks to everybody for tuning in to this, our second live .NET Rock show. I am your host, Carl Franklin, in New London, Connecticut, as always, and I'd like to introduce the most dangerous man in Portland, Oregon, currently, and uh, working with .NET. Will you please welcome my co-host, Mr. Rory Blythe. Hey, how's it going? That's how I introduce myself. Of course, the most dangerous guy with .NET. I like to scare my clients away a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so I'm here in Portland for another few days before I move out to the East Coast. And people may notice that you, you're you're choppy a little bit audio-wise, and that is because you are Skyping in. Exactly. People have been asking me on my blog, why are you moving to New London to do this show? And this is exactly why I'm moving to New <laughs> London to do this show. And plus, because it's a lot easier when Carl and I are sitting across from each other and also more fun. So, Absolutely. You're listening to the choppiness tonight. Yeah. And we can't throw a, you know, wadded up paper balls at each other when you're in Portland. <laughs> yeah. And we can't <laughs> give each other high fives during the break either. So, uh, so how you been? You know, I know you've been you've been, been getting over a cold, right? Oh, it's not a cold. No, this is this is the super duper worst flu that I've had in years. <laughs> when I was younger, I got sick all the time, but you know, it's been years since I've been this sick. I had the fever. Yeah. I was shaking, convulsing. Basically, I had to stop playing my GameCube. I was oh, playing wow. this game, and I just started shaking uncontrollably. And I was so angry. I put down the controller, and I stared at it, and I I just had to give up and accept that I was too sick even to play video games. Now, is that, so I put is that, that normal flu behavior, shaking uncontrollably, or is that indica- indicative of some mental illness or something? <laughs> <laughs> that is normal flu behavior. That's when the fever is hitting, but you're so wrapped up okay. in the stupid game you're playing that you don't even realize what's going on, and you aren't sure if you're having a seizure or what. You're just wow. mad because you've gotten to a cool place in the video game, and you don't feel like stopping. So I had to put it down, and I... Went into the cold sweats, and it, it you, you know when you're eating spaghetti and you stick the fork in the noodles and you twist the fork around? Yeah, yeah felt like somebody <laughs> stuck that fork into my intestines and just started spinning. Oh, yuck. Oh, it wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasant. And aside from that, uh, I got my hair cut. 
Ooh, so, uh, so no longer the flock of seagulls look, or no longer the flock of seagulls. Yeah, I, Corey and I went out to dinner a couple of weeks ago, and the guy who sat us. Okay, as we were sitting down, I was a little tired and I was rubbing my eyes, and he couldn't quite <laughs> see my face. So right before he leaves, he says, "You ladies have a nice meal." And I was like, "Oh God." <laughs> You know, I got to get my hair cut. And then at work, this guy, Scott Carrick, he's one of the DB programmers out of Northwest Natural, walks up to me and he says, hey, Rory, totally deadpan. I say, what's going on, Scott? And he says, your hair? I say, yeah. And he says, you know, you can claim that it's dependent on your taxes. So that was awesome. (laughs) And then, then like two days later, same guy walks up to me. Hey, Rory. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, Scott? He says, your hair? And I was like, oh, God, here it comes. And he says... You know, that counts as one piece of carry-on. <laughs> so I don't, I don't usually like to broadcast to thousands of people when uh, when somebody's really effectively insulted my hairdo, but Scott has a knack for... And what's, really, what's, you know, we might as well embarrass him. What's his last name? Scott Carrick. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, I Scott think he said that, yeah. Well, if you want to embarrass him, let's just tell everybody that he codes an RPG, all right? <laughs> there, I've had my revenge. So you know, just don't bust our balls. Basically, is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. We have the microphone. <laughs> yep, that's right. We'll say whatever we want. RPG, you got that? RPG. RPG. So. RPG sucks. Man, I, don't know, I don't know anything yeah. about RPG. <laughs> it's like it's like assembly language for data. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's some scary stuff. I've only heard stories. I know people who made a lot of money in the eighties with RPG. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cause no, anyway. it's, it's not it's not a language you it's not like .net you don't do it because you love it yeah you know you don't go to like the big RPG convention you'd be like oh, RPG <laughs> you know you kind of walk you mope in the doorway you be hearing RPG your rocks. eyes are kind of stunk and <laughs> that's awesome or fourth rocks or something like that these are not shows you're going to hear about anytime shows soon shows we we aren't going to hear <laughs> well anyway well anyway uh, we get some mail as you know we get lots of email from people and uh, we, you know, we got a surplus of .NET Rocks mugs with Mark Dunn's name on them. So I figured, hey, let's put two and two together, read the mail, get rid of the mugs. Um, so that's <laughs> what we're going to do. Uh, I'll just read a couple here. This one is from Josh Baltzell. Josh, I'm sorry for butchering your last name there, but you didn't spell it phonetically for me. Yeah, and you code an RPG. <laughs> he says, .NET rocks my socks off is the subject of his email. Awesome. I, wanted to, I wanted to drop you a note and let you know that I'm really enjoying the live show. I've been a fan of Rory's website for a while now, and I think he's a great addition to the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Josh Baltzell. Josh, you are the proud owner of a .NET rocks mug. What's hey, up? Thanks, Josh. Yeah, how how cool is that? That's nice That's little nice stuff. Yeah, and this one is from Austin Wise, who says ODBC. This is about ODBC logging and kernel mode caching, which we were talking about on another show. Uh, after listening to the show with Pat Hines, I enabled ODBC logging on my web server. Recently, I was reading the help file in Windows Server 2003 for IIS. And I came across this. When ODBC logging is enabled, IIS disables the kernel mode cache. For this reason, implementing ODBC logging can degrade overall server performance. That's a nice to know. Thank you. Yeah, that is Thanks, good. Thanks, Austin. And uh, you will also be receiving a .NET Rocks souvenir coffee mug. <laughs> it's going to soon to be uh, priceless because, you know, it's the first year, right? It's kind of going to be yep. like the Butcher album, the Beatles. You know, they recalled. And never mind. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few people are going to 
know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, this one came from Australia. Eric Jarby. And um, again, Eric, I'm really sorry. Um, I can't really pronounce names on the spot like that without doing some research. Anyway, he says... Hi, Carl. Hello from Australia. I'm a senior .NET developer here in Sydney and a constant listener of .NET Rocks for a while now. A bit about myself. I've been a developer for 10 plus years where I started with Visual Basic in 92 and quickly migrated to C, C++, and Unix. That was a learning curve. Then I have Java to push me back into Windows in 96. Consequently, I migrated into the .NET world since the Beta 1 release. Funny story. I was so impressed by the .NET framework in the early Beta 1 release that I started to write a book titled, I Can't Believe It's Not Java. <laughs> I submitted the manuscript to Rocks Press, but they did not like the idea. Um, I think that's because they went out of business. Oh. They, they didn't, it's not that they didn't like it. It's just that they didn't have anybody there to write you a letter saying we love it. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but they did not. <laughs> but they did not like the idea. But this book later became Professional.net for Java developers using C Sharp two years ago. Okay, well, so that was before the whole rocks thing. Anyway, when I think now, I can definitely believe it's not Java for so many reasons that you probably already know. Number one, it's better. Yeah, it doesn't suck. No, hey, we like we like Java, and and the programmers that program in Java. My brother is a Java programmer. I love my brother. Hey, I do some Java stuff. That's how I know .NET is better. Oh, well, okay. That's good. And uh, stick around next week because we're going to be talking with Ted Neward and Bruce Tate all about the whole Java versus .NET and, you know, doing some real, hearing from real people who've done both, uh, as opposed to Rory, who's not a real person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just wanted to correct myself there, you know, in the way that I know how. Uh, my passion for the, back to the letter now from Australia. My passion for the .NET technology was so much that I kept on dropping Java-based contracts, and even took some time off to write and review books about .NET. I am a C Sharp developer, but I also have lots of respect for VB.NET developers and love listening to your talks about it. Anyway, I just wanted to drop this email and to let you know that lots of .NET developers are tuned in to .NET Rocks here down under. At this point, I just wanted to know when Petzold is going to take some time from his mind trips and drop by .NET Rocks. <laughs> yeah, we want to know, too. That would be awesome. Yeah, we'd love, we'd love that. Um, I, I, he's a great guy. I met him once, um, and I, I think I told the Petzold story on another show, but uh, you'll have to go find that. P.S. Uh, I don't expect you guys to send any freebies to the other side of the world, but it sure would be nice. Well, you know, Eric, I'm just feeling generous right now. So, yes, we will send you a freebie. In fact, I think we're going to send you a copy of Visual Studio.net Enterprise Developer. What do you say to that, huh? Wow. All right. Just because, you know, you're a nice guy and you butt-kissed us enough to get that out of me. <laughs> well, no, that's cool, though. That there's people as far away as Australia who are listening to the show. That is It's very cool. Really cool. Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, we got an email from a guy from Argentina who was listening live last wow. the last live show in Argentina. So there's some guy in Argentina drinking coffee listening to .NET Rocks <laughs> at 12 noon or whatever it is over there. Uh, here's another one from David Foster. And this guy says, hello, Carl Franklin. I have finally caught up. It only takes about two months. <laughs> uh, I must say that every episode has at least two or three gotta have a look at. I've been programming for about 14 years, VB, many versions, 
Microsoft SQL Server. Moved over to .NET June 2000, beta 2 time. And I'm doing my PhD project in VBNet. Take that, you C-sharp bigots. Yeah, ah. you, me. <laughs> he didn't say that. I did. Um, he's doing secure mobile agents. This is the best thing since taming the electron. <laughs> Life is so easy now. I spend my time on designing elegant solutions, not fighting to make the language do what I want. Preach on, man. I looked back on some stuff I did two years ago in VB6, which took four months to produce. I redesigned it to take advantage of .NET extras and rebuilt it in three weeks. That includes the redesign. Nice. Keep up the great work. Sorry to see Mark go. Rory is as mad as a cut snake and has some... <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take what I can get. (laughs) Is this the guy from Australia? No, no, he's not from... A cut snake? He must have been hanging out with Mark. I mean, you know, (laughs) Mark's got those... uh, What was one of the funny things Mark said that was great? Man, I am jacked up higher than a prom dress dress in June. June. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was good stuff. Oh, well. Rory is as mad as a cut snake and has some good brain dumps, though. Awesome, David. Thank you very much for uh, for for helping us out and in uh, helping us fill some time here. <laughs> We're gonna send you a .NET Rocks mug. Uh, one last one, a very quick one from uh, Charles at Taylor Engineering. He is not Charles Taylor, however, he's Charles Haynes. Uh, love your show. I am a C sharp programmer, and yes, I do wash my hair every day. There you go. There's a letter. Charles, we're going to be sending you a mug, too. And we are going to be taking calls uh, during the show. Before I introduce Scott Hanselman, I'd just like to let you know that we have a website set up at uh, www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks. That's C-A-L-L-D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S. During the live show, uh, every week, in fact, this is the first week of what we hope will be a long stretch of weekly live shows until we pass out. Or, <laughs> uh, you will be able to go to that page and not only uh, enter in text questions for us to read on the air, which will you know make you eligible for prizes and stuff, but you can also get our phone number to call us uh, during the time we're taking calls. And if you like Skype, like Rory is on Skype right now, and, you know, it sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, you know... It's a little, it sounds goodish. Sounds goodish. We can understand yeah. you. And there's not Skype a, is good. There's it's no, definitely good. Yeah, there's no latency or anything like that. So uh www.skype.com. It's by the guys who wrote um uh Kazaa. And it's free. Uh, it's in beta, however. I don't know if the release version is gonna be free, but who knows? For now, go for it. So Rory, uh you know, I've been reading your blog for the last couple of days and pissing my fucking pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's just no other way to say it, man. You, you've been writing some awesome stuff and your cartoons are getting, are becoming mythic. I mean, they're not they're I mean, they're totally stylistic and stylistic. they are, <laughs> the they have stick figure. <laughs> yeah. But they, but you, you have your own style, your own look and you know, the combination of stick figures and, and scanned images or something. Do you, do you scan people's heads and oh, stuff? No. Oh, no. I'm way too lazy. I go straight to Google Images, do the search, grab the head, 
with a full body, and I cut the head off, okay. size it, drop it in. I'm such a bad <laughs> artist. That's why there's style. It's because I'm it's, so bad. But it's so cool, though, because they always look the same, and they have, they're just funny as hell. I like the one you did about the dog, the neighbor's dog. Was that a true story? The neighbor's dog was barking at 3 a.m.? You say it in the past tense. Was that? No, it is a true story. That dog doesn't just bark at 3 a.m. It never sleeps. It's barking right now? It never stops barking. Yeah, it doesn't even (laughs) inhale. It's just, it's one continuous bark that goes on around the clock and never, ever, ever stops. Oh, God. And it triggers off the neighboring dogs. So you get dogs barking in this neighborhood, and then the dogs in the next neighborhood over here, the barking. In fact, there are probably dogs barking in your neighborhood right now <laughs> who were triggered by this barks across America that started over here in my neighborhood with the- this crazy dog that never – the neighbor can't turn him down, can't ask him to be quiet. It's a border collie, so it's naturally insane, and you can't blame it. But And as you said in your uh, – in your- in your cartoon that the barks are actually so powerful they're bouncing off of mars and disrupting the mars rover right well that was just simply hyperbole being used to get my point across (laughs) oh really (laughs) although one guy did have to comment hey wait a minute now those barks could not travel through space i was like oh man you got me you know i'm gonna have to take that down i really have to to call you on your lack of irony there i mean you know oh no (laughs) That was just hyperbole to get my point across, just so that the listeners wouldn't be confused and actually think that you were suggesting the dog's bark was bouncing off of Mars and interfering with the Mars rover. You never know. I mean, it takes all kinds to make the world, as my grandmother once said to me about me over dinner. Oh, so. man. Wow. Yeah, but aside from that, I've been doing the Google weirdos thing. The Google thing, that's another um, feature of your blog that is becoming, you know, a standard thing that we all look forward to. So this is, you you basically look up how people get to your blog via Google by what they type in, right? Yeah. By what they type into Google. I'm lonely and I have a lot of time on my hands, so I comb my logs regularly. And one of the things I love to do is look and see how people are getting to the site because you get the Google refer information in your logs and uh i like to go through and just read every single last one and this is much more entertaining than you would really think (laughs) because people get to your site and you have no idea how this particular google phrase hooked up with your post they must have found your post off of page 137 of the search (laughs) results or something but still they got to you and you get to keep the phrase for yourself and i've been collecting them and putting them up i've done two editions of this now i call it google weirdos because it's perfect evidence that this planet is made up of absolutely strange people, much stranger than you or I will ever meet, because these people probably don't come into contact with other people ever. That's how they're so strange. It's bizarre stuff. And uh, yeah, so I've been calling it Google Weirdos, and that's been getting a good good response. So well, lay, to, a, lay a few of them on us. I mean, yeah, we'll do, we'll do the mini Google Weirdos here. Okay. The, the Donnet Rocks Google Weirdos. So looking through them this week. Uh, I pulled six out here that I thought were nice, funny little things. And what I found is that there's this trend now. Now that people know about Google Weirdos, they're using it to contact me. (laughs) They're sending me messages through Google. So this is creepy. You think it's weird that your ex-boyfriend hangs outside in the bushes and looks in through the window or whatever. I mean, you think that's creepy or you, you, you I mean, that is weird, but this is, this is really creepy because I'm looking through my logs. Well, they know, you're, I if, they know you're going to share it with the world, right? So right, yeah, they well. know I'm looking. So it's almost like graffiti. <laughs> it's cool stuff. So I'm looking through here and here's the first one. I love this. 
Rory Blythe, Google Weirdos sucks, and so do you. <laughs> that's, that's really crafty. That's great. This, this, this person hated me, but was enough of a fan to go in and send me this message through Google. So that I get it. That seems to be Weirdos. a common like theme that. on your blog, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's true. People stick around. There's this guy who actually said to he who said in the comments, "I'm not coming back here ever again. I hate you." So I've been checking the logs. His IP address shows up every day, fourteen times, and he's not even coming in through an aggregator. So whatever's up with that, I don't know. Okay, so the next search I find is Rory Blythe. You know how to make a man cry. I don't know what that's about. I have no idea what that's about. But I guess there's somebody out there, you know, weeping with tears running down his beard or whatever. And I guess I did it. So there we go. Moving on. We got another one here. My MBA is worthless. Uh. So we got this guy who's gone through and done all this bullshit to get this piece of paper that says, I know, blah, blah, blah. And now he's finding out or she's finding out that in the real world, just having the piece of paper isn't enough. You got to have the experience and nowhere left to turn. So they just admit it to Google. And I got to say... Your MBA is worthless? Yep. So moving right along, we got we got this one. This one is creepy. All right. This one is Sister Just Imposter. Huh? So when I'm reading this one, I have this image of this, you know, guy who's hunched over his computer. And he doesn't know if his sister's in the next room or not. All he knows is that she's an imposter. I want to know how he found Google your... to kind of track this down. It's like she's one of the pod people or something. <laughs> like she's going to come into the room and point at him with her eyes all bugged out. And... <laughs> so that's a little creepy. Sister Just Imposter. I want to know how he landed on your site by searching for Sister Just Imposter. You must have had those words on your page that day or something. I've got something. I mean, but I don't sister? know what I write about. Sister? I don't know. Sister Just Imposter. Do you have a sister? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so do you write about her? Have you I ever? I do sometimes, but I've never claimed that she's an imposter or just an <laughs> imposter. She's a lot more than that. Well, it could have been on a page with some totally unrelated, you know, comment. Look, Carl, Google weirdos is no fun <laughs> if you intellectualize it. So just back off with the brainiac stuff for a minute. Moving right along, the next one we got is real-life paranormal possessions in humans. And all Ooh. I have to say is... There aren't any. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and moving on, the last one is, have you ever wet your pants? And the answer is yes, I have wet my pants. So that's Google weirdos. For this <laughs> oh, that's week. all we're going to hear? Yes, I have wet my pants and leave it at that? <laughs> Come on, man. Where's the story? Well, I kind of, oh, the story. That's probably how they found it. The story was that I was about four years old uh, and I was in a department right, no. store and I was looking. That's no story. I'm, I want to hear you were 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fine, I'll change it. So I was 25, and I was in the department store, and my mom said I could either have a G.I. Joe or a Transformer, and I really had to pee, and I couldn't figure out what I... You know what? This story's just getting creepy. 25, my mom's buying me a toy at the department a store, Joe, and no I pee less. my pants. <laughs> I think it was best when I just left it at yes, yes, I have. Okay, good enough. <laughs> a little less eerie. <laughs> Yeah, so that's Google Weirdos for the week. I feel like it should have a theme song or something. Well, we will write one. And and this is going to be a regular spot, is it not? Yeah. Absolutely. yeah as long as nobody hates it, or as long as the majority of people do not hate it, I think Actually, it I think be it'd be better spot. if people did hate it, because you know, <laughs> then they would obviously tune in more, you know, you know <laughs> right. taking a nod like from your guy, blog yeah. there. Yeah, yep. The more we suck, the more people will listen to us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, I just want to uh, tell everybody that um, we are in our 
almost in our full swing here. This is going to be the this is the second live show, and Rory's going to do one more show from Portland, right? Next week. That's right. Yeah. And the week after that, you're going to be here. Yep. Flying out on the first, having my car shipped out, and I hope I'll have a place to live when I get there. So yeah, we got to be excited. We're going to help you out with that. I think we're going to take yeah. some pictures for you, or something yeah. of the place. We'll stock out the place. And uh, cool. Well, I can't wait. Well, it looks like we don't have any callers, so let's get right to uh, to Scott Hanselman. You know Scott, don't you? Oh God, yeah, I love Scott. Yeah, I spent. A, I got. I first got to hang out with him a lot down at the PDC. We went and rode the Jurassic Park ride together at Universal Studios. So to say that we've bonded is <laughs> really not even to to scratch beneath the surface. We've seen each other in yellow ponchos getting drenched <laughs> underneath animatronic dinosaurs. So Scott and I were like brothers. Okay. Well, let me give him a proper introduction here. Scott is a regional director of the Portland area and uh, very energetic, very ambitious, very smart. And I have had many run-ins with him that have ended in problem-solving and thought-provoking conversations. We were actually talking um, by email about, you know, he, he was concerned that he might not have enough material to cover two hours. And I said, dude, at the PDC, we bullshitted for three or four hours and, you know, it was nonstop. We could we could definitely fill a couple hours on .NET Rocks, and and uh, he has a lot to talk about about ASP.NET, about uh, lots of things. So yeah, I've never had a hard time keeping it going with Scott. So <laughs> I don't think it'll be a problem here. So how are you, Scott Hanselman? I'm a little disheveled, but I'm all right. Cool. I had, la- I had laser surgery on my eyes a couple of days ago. Really? And and damn it, if the machine wasn't running Windows 98. Ah, uh, well, there's the problem. <laughs> and uh, but I I made it through with no blue screens. And uh, it's looking all right. Wow. A little freaky, though, because, I mean, I've walked through the mall, and uh, I've seen those kiosks with a blue screen, you know, running like, you know, some unpatched version of MP4, <laughs> you know, and like a toddler walked by and then decided to control-out-delete the thing. But wow. this particular uh, eye doctor, they were using OS2 and Windows 98. Oh, well, you know what's really scary is they probably wrote the software, because every doctor is like it's a console software developer. Totally. Yeah. Wow. They never hire people to do their stuff. They always try to do it themselves, hooking access together with a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. And it's usually a cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a smart cousin who works for Intel. Yeah. Wow. But so you, you can see now. I'm sorry? You can see now, right? Right, I mean, but I can't the- hear. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's next. Yeah, so. That's like one of those jokes your uncle plays where it's like... Uh, you know, you're going deaf, kid. And he goes, huh? Yeah. What? <laughs> um, yeah, I was. I went from negative nine, which is like 2600, to mm. about 2025. Weird. Nice. Yeah, so I'm back to using 14-point fonts now, man. Good thing. So, so, wait a minute. So, you're not using glasses anymore, in other words? No, I'm like, I'm like the bionic man at this point. So, you're telling me your picture is outdated? I'm actually going to roto those glasses out with Photoshop because the picture is <laughs> too good and I can't reproduce it. <laughs> so, uh, so what the hell have you been doing lately? I am uh, still working at Carillion Corporation, and we're doing uh, online banking, of course. And okay. uh, I've been working on a, a kind of a front end to our our um, our e finance application. We have an e finance application server, basically, and we've been building all sorts of great stuff in ASP.NET uh, that we're going to see at, at banks you know, top 100 banks all over the United States. Carillion's got a bunch of big banks. You know, if you go to, like, Bank One, right. you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, places like that, you'll have uh, Carillion running the bank 
bank's website. So you transfer money, hook up with you know Quicken. You're talking to Corellian stuff, and it all runs on Windows, which is cool. We're usually on an island of Windows in the middle of a bunch of Java. Most big uh, banks, they run um, Java, uh, some kind of weird middleware that they bought in, during the boom in front of a... Uh, it's usually, you know, Java and bailing wire. Yeah, uh, J-something. There's right. usually a guy with sneakers running a floppy between two boxes. <laughs> but, um, no, but we sit, we sit in the middle uh, between the mainframe and the... Uh, and we are the web server. And the application server, our stuff's all uh, our, our main server is all in C plus plus, and uh, it's a big distributed kind of like component load balancing application. Yeah. yeah, does auditing, security, things like that. Banks are different than than running like a standard shopping cart. They need to, to know like what's happened on this site at an auditing level. You know, maybe for eighteen months, twelve months, six months, they want to yeah. know because if someone calls up and says, you know, I transferred two bucks, I swear, <laughs> on the net. Go and, go and prove that. Make sure that that really happens. So we need to keep full auditing for years. So we'll have, you know, hundreds of gigabytes of data. Wow. SQL Server 2000, ASP.NET. So I'm working on the ASP.NET user interface aspect of our, of our product. So I'm doing a lot of uh, XML schema to describe the messages that come back and forth between mm-hmm. us and the, uh, uh, the Voyager product. I write a lot of... Um, ASP.NET user controls. What's the Voyager product? Is that the one that does all the stuff you've been describing? Right, the Voyagers are our Com Plus. Voyagers are application server, uh-huh. but it's not a low-level application server like Com Plus. It's it's eFinance specific, so it's kind of like a vertical thing. Oh. It has eFinance specific hooks because it always expects to be talking to a host. Um, it comes out of the box with the, the ability to go and do balances in history, and we have a bill pay warehouse, so when you go online and pay your bills, someone has to manage that, make sure the bills are paid on time, Right. make sure that the bills are paid in such a way that it costs the bank the least amount of money. You know, they don't just have a bunch of monkeys putting checks and envelopes. they got to yeah. figure out, okay, well, I want to pay Portland General Electric, how can I do that in such a way that saves the bank money? Yeah. So we manage all of that stuff. Okay. Well, I know that you've gotten into the idea of declarative programming a lot. You know, maybe uh, XAML has something to do with that. This is, uh, this is something that's kind of a new idea for, for many people. Uh, maybe the HTML programmers are rejoicing and the C programmers are rolling, in their, uh, rolling around in their gray. I would say in their graves, but they're not dead. Um, what do you think of declarative programming? Um, I, I think that if you can write... Uh, an, an engine yeah. to generate your code, uh-huh. and rather than programmatically trying to express something with ifs and wows and such, right. if you can express it declaratively, um, if you can express something like, like from a user interface person's point of view, say you've got a user interface that's got a bunch of tabs, and uh, that's, that's the interface for your application, and you want one tab to not appear if a person isn't in a certain .NET role. Maybe if the person doesn't have bill pay rights. He doesn't have a bill pay uh, ability on the site. I want the bill pay tab to disappear. Right. Um, I could write a bunch of if if not bill pay, then tab dot visible equals false, and I could put that all over the place, or I could toss it into a base class. But fundamentally, I've taken a declaration. Right. Don't show this tab. He's not a bill pay guy. And I'm converting it into something programmatic. If I can express that in my navigation XML file, you know, if not roll, huh. 
or, or you know, don't show this tab unless they're in that particular role. Right. And then I've got a renderer or an engine that is handling all of that. Um, I don't have to necessarily recompile my application, yep. depending on how I'm using that de- declarative information. Um, and I can, I can say that stuff and confirm it in the XML file, maybe even before I compile my application. So what's cool is it's almost like a way to express logic without having to write a logic layer. Exactly. I'm not quite sure even how to express it because it's, it's, sometimes it's logic and sometimes it's just like saying something. I right. almost look at it in the terms of uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. You write all this kind of code or you can just write a little XML schema and a little config file and to then write something to generate the code. Right. And it's not and it's not a big task to do that. I mean, the tools are built into the platform, right? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you do declarative programming when you run xsd.exe from the command line and generate a class. But right. I think, it, well, it's not a big deal technically. It's a big deal uh, emotionally. Yeah, it has friction, a, right? What's that? It has friction. Yeah. I think there's a whole class of people, uh, myself being one of them, that, that lived in the Matrix through the <laughs> 90s. And right. When we all were sitting around as nerds coding on our Apple IIs, and then someone says, hey, look, VB3, we're dragging buttons, man. <laughs> we're dragging buttons, and now programming, you know, you don't need a degree, and let's go, man. Uh, so we start programming in, v- in VB, and we live in the matrix. And remember that the whole point of Visual Basic was to hide COM. Right. I mean, it, Visual Basic is the COM matrix. The but COM obfuscator. But, but, <laughs> what's that? The com obfuscator. It is. It is exactly. It's an entire IDE you know, designed to fool you. Right. Except who was the most powerful guy in the Matrix? Well, it was Neo. He didn't leave the Matrix, but he said, you know, I know that I'm here. No one else knows that I'm in the Matrix, but now that I have control of my environment, now I can really do something. Right. So once you make that, that leap and it clicks, and you go, oh, well, shoot, I can do it this way. Once you make that leap from from just writing if statements, and, and not just if statements, but multiply nested if statements that go on and on and on. We've all written them, and then a switch statement at the end somewhere. Sure. Um, and then can say, wow, I could express this so much more eloquently, and then write a tiny engine to, to read it and deal with it. Uh, that, that, that is a very powerful concept. And I think anyone can do it. You just have to really let it kind of flow over you. That's why I always talk about like the zen of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, you have a sort of a, a Zen attitude. I mean, we were talking a lot about uh, many paths to one truth a lot at the, at the PDC. Getting a little philosophical, I don't know, remember now if it was, you know, the, the, the drinks or it was late or whatever, but it was definitely a cool conversation. I've had it with several people. But, um, and you also have a, some sort of Zen in computerzen.com, right, in your arsenal of web service of uh, websites totally totally i think that having a, an attitude like that um hang on I've, suddenly all of your, your, your suddenly all of your listeners have decided to chat me at once oh great <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's really great i'm, I'm sitting here trying Just to concentrate him. on talking to carl and say hey you sound great <laughs> pops up, a little piece of blue toast pops up it's like uh, okay thanks guy that really helped me there you know it's almost like uh, you know i'm trying to make that vault i've got a broken leg i'm at the olympics i'm running and then someone goes yeah yeah you can do it. and then i fall so sorry <laughs> yes i have a zen attitude because people make this stuff way harder than it needs to be 
Um, and if you try to get through the path of Zen through force of uh, of will, you'll you'll always you'll always lose. I mean, remember, you know, if if, if you're going like, to kick Bruce Lee's butt, what what's the typical thing to do? You run at him. <laughs> he steps to the side, and then you fall on your ass. Right. That's not Zen. No. But to use that person's power against them, that's Zen, you know. To explain that right. and then say, well, wait a second, how does that have anything to do with, with programming? Well, if you need to ask that question, if you don't understand it, then, then you're not really at that place yet. Scott, what do you mean by Word documents have no teeth? So if you apply declarative programming, let's just start with the first word, declarative. So if I have a okay. Word document, maybe some business guy decided to write out a Word document to declare how he wanted the site to go down. He's like, all right, the site's going to look like this. So he starts writing, and he spends all this time in Word writing, oh, the site shall do this, and, and a, like, let's, let's say account, for an example. An account object has this, and he makes this really beautiful table in Word with lots, lots of neat stuff and uh, all the different data types and explanation about what an account looks like or what a payment or whatever. And then we go on and we design, and then I look at the Word document, and maybe I put the Word document up on one monitor and I write my code. And I basically copy from his declaration, from his Word document, into something in my .NET application. And who did that translation? It went through my brain. Basically, he goes and writes a ridiculous amount of actual text. You know, perhaps even more keystrokes occurred in Word than occurred in Visual Studio. Hmm. We go through the process. It comes time to go to production. Something crashes. Maybe, maybe it only crashes you know, when a certain code path is run. And the Word document guy, the business guy, looks at his Word document and says, hey, you guys, look here, page 56, subsection 5, table 4. It's clear <laughs> right. that this is not supposed to happen. Site's crashing. That Word document is, is cold comfort. Word documents don't have any teeth. Word documents can't break my build. Right. Word documents are important. They're, they're from all good things, flow the original design idea. But if I express that design idea in a way that in, doesn't help me... Uh, a Word document can't fail a unit test unless I wrote a unit test right. about something in that Word document. So what things in a Word document could we remove and perhaps put into our own XML vocabulary or put into XML schema? So then I could describe an account object in my own XML schema, perhaps annotate the schema with attributes that are custom to me while still staying with uh, something that is valid XML schema. Yeah. Then doing code generation on that Word document as far as I can, uh, meaning not just into an object, but maybe into pre- and post-validation business rules or partially even generating my, uh, my user interface. Then, if he changes the schema, and I have an automated build process, right. and he switches an int to a long, things break. Right. And you think, well, wait a second, things break, is that a bad thing? Well, no, I wa that means that I've actually caught a bug at design time. Right. I mean, it's like early bound yeah. on it's early bound plus plus. Yeah, you want to catch them at design time. That's it's the whole right. one of the greatest things about .NET is you can catch so many more things before you even run the program because the the compiler is you know really intelligent at reporting errors. Exactly, and exactly. And now, if you were trying to convert an XSD into a class using Visual, Visual Studio or XSD.exe, then uh, that's catching something even before the compile. Maybe if it didn't work, right. or you get to look at that code. So it's adding more stages. Life isn't just compile and run. Right. It could be code gen, compile, unit test, 
run. Yeah. You've added two stages, two new places where you can catch your, uh, right. your bugs. I'm, then, a, I'm a big fan of uh, code generation. I know you are, too. I had a guy in uh, my VBNet masterclass who w- worked for uh, Hamilton Sunstrand. He still does. And I uh, caught up with him a while ago. He said that his programming model, he, he used to spend all his time writing code for applications. Now he writes code that writes the code for his applications and spends very little time actually writing the application itself. And I thought, you know, if more people spent more time writing code that writes code and, and perfecting that process, you know, then when it comes time to uh, be agile about changes that you need to make in your business logic or changes that in the database that need to, you know, permeate through your, throughout your code, it's no big deal. Um, what he was doing was, just as you said, he was had a process that went out to his database and created type data sets for all his tables and then created uh, command wrappers for his store procedures. Cool. And, uh, you know, shelled out to XSD, created those type data set classes, put them, bundled them all, emitted out a, a VB file, called the compiler, built it, and uh, that reference to that DLL was already in his project, so all he had to do is rebuild his project after running that uh, running that processor, and he's got the new stuff. So you know, then he went fishing. Yeah, yeah. Then he went fishing. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, we actually made a, a namespace specific to generated code, and when we generate our C our C sharp files or our VB.NET files, we actually decided to adopt a uh, a standard for our source code. So if it's a generated thing, it would be like account.g.cs yeah. or account.g.vb, and uh, then we have a generated namespace. So if you just recompile, you know, you, you've already imported Kirillian.generated.types. Right. Works exactly like you're talking about. But you can generate not only code, you can generate unit tests. If you have enough information yep. in that schema, generate unit tests. We actually generate automated test data. Yeah. And then you can start adding other kind of tools within your automated build. I mean, this is all part of a, a, a formal automated build. Right. Just simply do code generation and not decide to go all the way and have a build server that's building automatically, uh, unit tests and things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. One of the things we did to augment it was we, we've added uh, a series of open source tools like, like Nant, right. uh, right. NUnit, mm-hmm. NCover, uh, using different open source build tools. Uh, we use one. Right now we're using CVS for our, our source control. Right. When we check a file in to CVS, the build server notices that a file's been checked in, kicks off the build automatically, sends out a report to the team as to what's been checked in, what changed, mm-hmm. whether the build succeeded or not, and then whether or not the unit test was run automatically after the build succeeded or not. Sweet. And that's all, you know, that's all part of this process. So if someone even changes a schema that qualifies as changing the build, we recompile with the code gen then recompile the app, then run all the unit tests to make sure that a data type somewhere in a declarative document that used to be a Word document didn't break the build. You're also really hot on uh, client-side validation. Uh, as a rule, I know that you know there's been a raging debate in the industry for years about you know where do, where do we validate stuff, and and I you know I, I know that you're thinking about this too, and that so many people are looking for a one-size-fits-all answer to all questions like that. And so it's the question is invalid, you know. Which do you do? Where do you do validation? Do you do it at the server? Do you do it at the client? Well, what are you validating? Are you validating uppercase, lowercase? Are you validating 
email formats or are you validating a business rule? Right. You know, like we're not open between these hours or whatever. Um, that, you know, will totally make up your mind. How, how, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, those are, de- those are declarations too. Typically right. those live in word documents. Someone goes and says, Oh, when they click on this, uh, on this checkbox, then make sure you enable that text box and make sure that there's currency in it. Right. And they say that, and then you have to go as a programmer and take that business guy's English and turn it into whatever. Right. Well, we're going to talk to uh, uh, Peter Bloom uh, about his validation controls and some other things that he's he's gotten a lot of great reviews on ASP.NET in the controls collection. But first, I want to uh, take a minute and get this uh, a word from our sponsor in from Data Dynamics, who's a, a sponsor of .NET Rock. So just sit tight, okay? All right. All right, guys, hang on. Here we go. out there thanks for tuning in thanks for putting up with our live uh show and uh and the problems therein well i'm here to talk about active reports for net and you know that uh data dynamics is now a regular sponsor of the show we love active reports for net and uh, we promote it all the time so i do want to talk to you about it it's a rewrite of the popular active reports 2.0 that data dynamics has done it's rewritten in managed c sharp and has integration, real tight integration with Visual Studio.net. So rather than having a report exist on a server somewhere, it exists right within your web page or your Windows form. And it allows uh, Visual Studio Net programmers the ability to leverage their current programming language. Uh, so you don't, you don't have to learn an extra language to use it. So it's uh, based on a per developer licensing scheme and it's royalty free to distribute comes with a report wizard and a Microsoft Access report conversion wizard, so you can start creating reports quickly. also has the ability to export to Adobe PDF, Microsoft Excel, RTF, HTML, text, and TIFF formats. can also be used in both Windows-based and web-based applications, as I said before. It includes a Windows viewer control that supports split and multi-page views, a table of contents pane, and text searches also has the ability to customize the viewer's toolbar. So, really good stuff. The standard edition is $4.99. The site license is $34.99. And the professional edition is only $12.99. Site license maxes out at $9,099. So, check it out. Go to www.datadynamics.com and get your trial version of ActiveReports.net today. Now let's get back to our show with Scott Hanselman, and we'll uh, call up Peter Bloom uh, and talk about his great controls. Stick around. Don't go away. (laughs) 
Okay, and we're back. Uh, we have on the line uh, Peter Bloom from PeterBloom.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-B-L-U-M.com. He has been writing some ASP.NET server-side controls and has been uh, getting rave reviews. Eight of his 11 products are free, and uh, they, you can go download them at PeterBloom.com. Like I said, at ASP.NET in the controls gallery, he's been getting the highest ratings of anyone up there. Peter, are you there? Hi, Carl. Hi, everyone. Hey, how are hey, you? Peter. Good. So tell me about yourself. Tell us about yourself and uh, your products. Well, I've been running this one-person ASP.NET controls and tools company since August 2002. You've already mentioned that I have 11 products, eight of which are free. Right. Okay. So tell me about some of those free products. Well, um, I'm going to tell you about a couple of them. Um, ASP Design Mode Extender is a tool that lets custom control developers uh, solve a problem they couldn't do with Visual Studio before. That is, reach into XML files that are in your web config, web application folder, such as the web config file, huh. a ResX file. That allows you to provide a new level of design mode capability. Cool. Another product is Traffic Monitor. If you're running traffic reports, you're gathering IIS logs, and those IIS logs have a lot of information that could be boiled down and perform, uh, built better. Traffic Monitor generates the IIS logs differently. It lets you generate it with more precise information and makes a smaller import file. Now, that um, the format for that logging is, is standard and compatible with IIS, right? The uh, format is definitely IIS format. Okay. It just uh, provides better logging. Wow, and that's free too, huh? Yep. So you have eight free controls. What about what about your commercial products? Well, my commercial products are Peter's polling package, Peter's date package, and professional validation and more. Now, before I ask you about any of those, just tell me like how what what's the typical price of these? Just before we hear the features, they start at fifty to one hundred dollars. Okay, so they're definitely not going to break the bank. No. So tell me about the polling package. That's I guess that's polling, like as in taking a poll or, or a vote. Yeah, online. the standard voting control you see on many websites. It has uh, a number of properties to make it a very flexible user interface, and it includes a complete web-based data administration system. Wow. Sweet. So what, are, so what are some of the features of that? I mean, do these controls have a lot of properties? Are they pretty extended or extensible? Oh, I love putting properties in. Fun, 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 fun to make the product as flexible as possible. <laughs> and uh, so that, that is a $50 uh, product, the poll? Correct. Sweet. What about the date package? Well, Peter's date package is one of the most power, uh, popular data entry date entry packages on ASP.NET. Most uh, popular? How do, how do you measure that? Do you have a download uh, number? Uh, down? Aside from a lot of commentary about it, um, the, when you go to the ASP.NET control gallery and you look at the number of uh, ratings out there, this product has the single most ratings of any product on the whole gallery. Wow. Nice. You know, I noticed that all of them are five-star, too. There isn't even one four-star rating up yep. there. Pretty sweet. Okay. And so you've got lots of different calendars and controls for... for you know, I hate dates, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So how many controls are there in the date package? Uh, 19 controls, including date text box with pop-up calendar, uh, time entry, duration entry, uh, month-year entry, um, a client-side calendar, which replaces Microsoft's calendar, um, and even validators for all that. Now, I know that you're big into validation and validators, and Scott uh, actually uses your, your tools and has said great things about them. Um, 
Tell me about your professional validation and more. That's the, the, the product that you sell that does client-side validators, right? Sure. Well, professional validation and more is a suite of over 30 controls, and it has wow. two general categories of controls, validation and a client-side toolkit. Uh, validation is, um, a, is offered by Microsoft, as you already know, but has a number of limitations that I found after building so many controls based on it. Um, I Actually, if you go to my site, you can find a list of all the problems I've run into that people will run into as they um, try and use Microsoft System and they vet in advance knowing what the problems are so they can make decisions huh. plan and over, how to overcome them. Wow. For example, they spend a lot of time writing code when they really should be, uh, it should be built into the software to do this stuff. Right. Um, an example of something that they can't, can't do with uh, wh whether they hack or anything, they just can't solve the problem, is client-side validation in Microsoft is limited to DHTML browsers like IE and IE for the Mac. Um, and when I wrote VAM, Validation and More, it, is, um, it supports those, val uh, those browsers, Netscape 6, Mozilla, Opera 7, Apple Safari, all that. Wow. Now, when I think of validation, I think of the rules of evaluation. Um, Microsoft supplies five validators for those rules. How does VAM or your product expand that? Well, VAM has 22 validators, Jesus. such as TextLens, <laughs> email address that supports um, Dave Wanta's ASP.NET MX product for true address, address validation, even a credit card number validator. Um, there's a lot of rules of evaluation that are simply not available in Microsoft's uh, system that are necessary. For example, a concept called validation groups, right. where you have two submit buttons on the page, each are associated with text boxes that have their own validators. In Microsoft's case, you hit submit, and all the validators on the page get fired, but you only want those that are associated with the submit button. Validation yeah. groups solves that problem. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Another uh, common case is a validator that should be silent uh, in a certain situation. When a validator is associated with a text box that itself gets disabled, the validator should get disabled as well. I agree. And VAM solves it by having an enabler property that recognizes the rules that will shut itself off. Wow. That's awesome. Yep. So tell me about the client-side toolkit. The client-side toolkit. Um, well, there's a, a JavaScript being used to enhance your user interface. And JavaScript, you, to use JavaScript, you really need to know not only JavaScript, but the HTML, DOM, and the various, how the various browsers support these technologies. Um, so I've wrapped up a number of tech, uh, tools and server-side objects so that I generate the correct JavaScript code for you. Um, that includes some uh, text boxes that filter keystrokes like integer or currency, decimal, and so forth. And it includes something called the, the field state controller, which is a special web control that monitors clicks and changes on the page. Um, when something changes, it takes over and updates other field states, such as it makes another field visible or invisible, enabled, changes the style, whatever. Cool. Wow, that's great. So uh, I, I guess starting at $50, it's cheap, um, really cheap. Uh, it saves a lot of time. Now, I know Widby is all about reducing code size through better controls. Uh, is, is VAM sort of doing what Widby is going to do, or is it going to do things Widby won't do? What's the, how well, does it? 
the, the philosophy you just stated with Whitby is, is what VAM does strive to do. It, just, it strives to take the code out of your hands and just let you set properties on custom controls, which is what Whitby tries to do by introducing a bunch of new controls to, right. to you. Um, Whitby itself has not enhanced the validation to, uh, objects very much. There are two, uh, two enhancements they have built into their system on validation, including the validation groups I just mentioned. Mm. Wow, that's pretty sweet. So uh, we can get to all of this stuff at uh, www.peterbloom.com, right? Correct. And that's P-E-T-E-R-B-L-U-M.com. Download eight, fr- eight of those free controls. Uh, also, great documentation I've heard, right? Yeah, yeah. Scott wrote something on a B-Log last week. Um, he said this. He's put me in a bad spot. If I ever start my own company, I need to have a doc at least this good. And I'm not sure I want to set the bar that high. <laughs> yeah, the documentation for Peter's stuff is unbelievable. Wow. Cool. So, Scott, you've used his stuff, obviously. Yeah, we've used his stuff. And, and the thing is, I, I want to make sure it's clear that, that it's $50, and that's up to Peter to decide how he wants to price. Don't think that you're getting something cheap. You know, you're getting a 200-page PDF document with samples and indexing and bookmarks that you can use to extend his stuff and make it uh, even more specific to whatever you're trying to accomplish. We've taken the Peter Blum validation and more, the professional validation and more, and we've actually derived from his classes using his developer guide and made Carillion-specific validators. You can actually chain validators. Like his date stuff did uh, 90% of what we needed, and we needed one additional validation that was date-specific, so we derived from his date validator added our own, and then chained into his stuff. So it's, it's just as good for the, the informal validation person who just wants to drag a few controls onto the design surface, yeah. but for also the advanced programmer who wants to derive from his stuff and, and extend it. We've gotten way deeper into it than we thought. We, we, we thought we were buying a, a pretty simple validation package, but wow. the, the extensibility points are crazy. I, mean, I, can get, I can actually give you an example of something I did yesterday. Okay. Um, I've got a transferring money. We've got a drop-down list, and there's different kinds of accounts, and the person needs to be allowed to transfer different amounts of money, maybe $10,000 from a savings, $50,000 from a home equity loan. Right. So we needed conditional JavaScript based on what was selected within that, that drop-down. Yeah. To, to write something like that myself programmatically, and again, this gets into programmatically versus declarative, and do it in such a way that it worked in any browser would be incredibly difficult and very specific. Yeah. With his stuff, I can drag in validators and conditions to enable and disable validators, and then his engine generates that client-side JavaScript automatically oh, sweet. and works in any browser. Sweet. Well, Peter, it sounds like you need to turn up your prices a little bit. I mean, it sounds like a steal <laughs> for 50 bucks. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to get back to the show now. We're going to take a little musical interlude and uh, give you something to listen to while we get regrouped here. And uh, so stick around. Don't go away right here on .NET Rocks, okay?
All right, we're back. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. This is uh, Carl Franklin and .NET Rocks here in the second half. And uh, Rory, are you out there? I am here, Carl. All right. I have a, uh, a, a new segment that I want to do. Tell me what you think of this. We're going to start doing this. Maybe we'll get some feedback on it. Um, the Linux vulnerability of the week. What do you think? <laughs> I think I think that sounds great. And uh, I mean, okay. it, it's time to give back a little, you know. Well, yeah, it, you know, we want to share the love a little bit. Basically, my point isn't that I'm not trying to make the point that Windows doesn't have bugs. I'm trying to make the point that they're amplified because of the fact that Windows is top dog, and that we hardly ever hear about the bugs and the vulnerabilities in in uh, Linux. And they're cleverly, you know, not, I don't know if they're not disguised, but nobody cares about them because there aren't a lot of people using it relatively compared to Windows. Well, and so, the people who get really excited about Windows, you know, problems are the people who are running Linux. That yeah, that's exactly right. Like slash, dot. And, right. So I'm not so. making this up. I'm not, you know, I'm not um, saying, I'm trying to make a point that Windows doesn't have bugs. We know it has bugs. We know all operating systems have bugs. Um, and so what I want to do, and then we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, is just sort of bring them to light. And this is published every week. You know, every week bugs, bugs in Linux are published in one place or another. So I want to read basically uh, an article that pu- was published in, at news.com uh, yesterday, February 19th, entitled Linux Servers at Risk from Trifecta of Flaws. These separate security flaws could be used by an ordinary user to gain total control of a Linux server or a workstation, security researchers have warned. Two of the vulnerabilities lie in the way the Linux kernel, the core of the open source operating system, manages memory. They affect all current versions of Linux, according to advisories released on Wednesday by ISEC Security Research. The third flaw affects the module for the kernel that supports ATI Technologies' RAGE 128-bit video card. Because Linux is frequently used on shared servers, security holes that allow a user to expand their access rights on a computer are serious, said Alfred Huger, the senior director of engineering for the security software company Symantec. However, they are not as critical as flaws that allow an outsider to compromise the computer, he said. In the grand scheme of things, if an attacker is able to get access to your box, then they could probably get root control on your box anyway, he said. The root user is the standard Linux and Unix name for the person who has complete control of a computer. So there you go. That is the Linux vulnerability of the week. Dun dun dun. dun. <laughs> Scott, you had a you 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 Skype uh, you emailed me, IM me that you wanted to offer an opinion. Ah, uh, you, you know, I, I'm listening to all this and I'm I'm tortured by the religious war of it all between the .NET people and the Java people, or Linux people and the Windows people, and uh, I totally I, agree. I was let me put it this way: I was at the dentist yesterday, and the dentist was, you know, they always say, "Oh, what do you do?" You know, you computer person. Oh, my son's a computer person. You know, he <laughs> likes the Linux. Do you like the Linux? So I had to sit there and explain to my dentist why his kid liked Linux, and. I, you know, I mean, I, I worked at Nike for a couple of years doing Unix, and I've lived in VI and big X Windows black and white terminals. So, I mean, I can talk both sides. I've done Java. I've done .NET. But darn it, Linux is hard. Yeah. And geeks like hard stuff. It is hard. And uh, I think that every time a new programming paradigm comes out that's easier or a new operating system comes out that's easier, someone says, well, gosh, 
real men, real women, they do the hard stuff. <laughs> That's right. You know, this is why the, uh, what's that fellow on, uh, on uh, public broadcasting who doesn't do anything with a real tool? He uses like old tools that like yeah, the little right. house in the prairie used. <laughs> the, wood, the wood shop guy. Right, the wood shop guy. You know, he's yeah. got a perfectly good planer. Home Depot's taken over the planet, you know, and this guy's. Right. You know, he's got like a chisel. He's doing it the Amish way. Right. He's got, he's got a chisel and a cheese grater, <laughs> and he's trying to make a chest of drawers. You guys <laughs> and, and I just think that that's great, that people want to work with a chisel and a cheese grater, but I like more... I don't know, more, more polished, more mature tools, I guess. Yeah, yeah and yeah, that's very good. And we're getting a round of applause from the uh, listening audience in here. Uh, anyway, I have a uh, caller, Scott, on the line. Uh, his name is Ashish Jaiman. I hope I pronounced your name right, Ashish. Yes, you did. Okay, you're from NGP Software, and you have a question for Scott. Yeah, I, I had a question. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, in user control, I'm trying to create an abstract user control, essentially, so that I can inherit from it and have many user controls. We can share, obviously, what is in the, the base control. And it seems to be a big problem because you can't do it. And and the the limitation is like you can't you can't create an abstract class, so you essentially create a base class and then you declare must overwrite and and then if if one of the base uh, if one of the child classes if or somebody who is implementing if forgets to overwrite one of the methods, then the whole thing is you know it, it breaks. Yeah. So is there a limitation on the the whole way the web applications work, or is it something which is not even possible because of the environment the, the web, web works with this way, or just ASP.NET team didn't want to do it? I would say that this is not a limitation as it might be a bit of design confusion. Okay. It's appropriate to create a base class uh, control that other people can derive from, other controls can derive from, um, whether it's abstract or not is really up to you. It doesn't have to be abstract. Yeah, that's that's my, my, my main question is it can't be abstract if you're doing it in VisualStudio.net. Okay, well, VisualStudio.net does have some known problems specifically with abstract controls at design time. Uh, yes. Where if any, if any control of the hierarchy is abstract, the designer has trouble creating those and then freaks out, and you'll end up getting weird uh, errors that'll pop up, and you won't be able to switch into design mode anymore. You get a the white box still work at runtime. So, so essentially, you can do it, but you can't do it in Visual Studio. I'm saying that you can do it, but don't make the controls abstract up the hierarchy. Okay. Um, is the problem that you're having is the inability to switch over to design mode after you do this? No, no. The the problem is Visual Studio actually doesn't even allow you to do it. So. It doesn't allow you to inherit yeah. user controls. It doesn't. It, uh, it doesn't oh, allow you to create an abstract user control itself. An abstract user control. Right. Yeah, it won't so, compile. So don't make it abstract. <laughs> Hurts when I do this. There's, there's no value <laughs> added to do it abstractly. Other than to keep people from trying to create. No, I think, I think there is a value added if you are a big team and then you're trying to enforce from upper level kind of what you have to override. If you just make it overridable, then you may miss the whole point of object orientation. There. Well, what if you what if you just make them as DLLs, you know, as classes? Yeah, right, right. If if you if you go to server site server controls, I think it, it you can do it. No, what I'm saying is, make the guts of your user control a DLL, 
and then just access them the different well, hierarchy from different user controls. Ashish is making an interesting uh, interesting juxtaposition between user controls and server controls. Right. Certainly, we realize that this can work fine with server controls. The issue that he's bringing up is that a user control is a composite of right. other controls. Right. Yeah. And yes, you can't make abstract user controls from Visual Studio. You can always go and and try to edit them yourself. Yeah. But you'll 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 upset the designer. I have other issues so with. So you're right. You you can't get a deep object-oriented hierarchy based entirely right. on user controls. Yeah. I have other issues with the user control too, like uh, you know why you can't just access them by name uh, without you know doing some yeah. funky tags and things like that. What I'm saying is that you know the user control experience isn't you know it lacks what your ex what you expect. You know, it's lacking in, 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 in coming up to your expectations. I'm, tr- I'm trying to say real English here. Rory, help me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying to speak, as a matter of fact. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we're doing all right. It's, it's been a tough show today, but doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashish, uh, thank you very much for calling. Oh, thank you for letting me on the show. You're welcome. Thanks. And uh, boy, before you go, Ashish? Yeah. Do you have an Xbox? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I, and you're waiting for me to say, would you like one? But I can't yes, say that. Not? I don't have any Xboxes. <laughs> but I do have a game from Microsoft called Impossible Creatures. All right. It's a real-time strategy game where you make up your own animals. Okay. Using inheritance. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll send yeah. that to you. All right. Thanks, man. Okay, thanks. Yeah, bye. <laughs> so, Scott, where were we? We were talking about, you were talking with Peter Bloom about uh, his... About his validators, you were talking about validation. I think we were about you were about to touch on caching in ASP.NET in yeah, some ca- way. Uh, caching in ASP.NET uh, makes such a difference at performance time, um, but there seems to be some confusion around not only how to do it, but also when it's appropriate. And I, I see a lot of people doing uh, some kind of classic mistakes. The first one being premature optimization. Um, it. it it's more helpful to architect your application such that it's broken up into either user controls or server controls right. that are not necessarily cached yet, but they're broken up modular, modularly. Modularly. You can edit that so I can say, <laughs> insert someone else saying modularly. They're broken up into pieces. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, but to go and slap caching attributes on top of them, try to do vary by custom, vary by browser, vary by yeah. this, vary by that, yeah, that prematurely crazy. is a mistake. So uh, I'm, I've become and have continued to become a, a, a believer in the measure three times, cut once uh, style of ASP.NET ah, development. The Norm Abrams. You, you must watch a lot of public TV. Oh, yeah, I love public TV. Yeah, me and too. And Queer Eye. It's the, well, it's the only TV that's worth watching, actually. Yeah, Bravo and OPB, Oregon Public <laughs> Broadcasting for me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, um, we uh, we did some uh, some stuff recently uh, with a user control that was a, a navigation control, and, and and some thought wasn't put into all of the different uh, permutations that this user control could be in. Yeah, and when uh, I wrote about this in my blog, but once you get to the idea that there's this many roles that the user could be in, and there's this right. many ways that the tabs could look, there's this many pages, you end up with four or five thousand uh, different chunks of HTML that are cached. You get a Cartesian product of tabs that are being cached in the HTML. And, and it cost me a couple hundred megs of RAM once we were done, because it was big chunks of, hmm. of stuff. Um, but it turns out that it wasn't that big of a deal to generate it on the fly. 
So by just removing the caching uh, attribute, uh, I turned caching off and it worked fine. I was using the partial caching attribute uh, of a, of a server-side control. I was prematurely optimizing. I think I probably spent a day trying to wow. optimize this thing, but I'd never measured it to see if it was a problem at all. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I've, I've actually taken a look at some of this stuff, and there are times when you'll, you'll actually see decreased performance if you're caching certain types of data, um, especially if you're using... If you're, if you're not using the... Uh, you know, a local state server, but if you're actually moving it off off the box somewhere or to SQL Server, you can definitely have some problems that will slow you down, and it's just faster to do a database query than to stash data in some cases. So, mm. Mm. The uh, um, performance counting, performance counters in ASP.NET, do you use those? Use I Perfmon? use performance counters like a madman. Yeah? I mean, if you've ever done performance counters in Windows on, like, C++, yeah, well, and then to try it in .NET is just like being, you know, being let out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, recently, uh, I was looking at instance performance counters. You know, when you do a performance counter, you've got your static counters, which often have, uh, you know, totals and things like that. And um, when you have an instance counter, this might be uh, maybe you have multiple processes running and you want one performance counter that's specific to the instance of that process. Yeah. But we're passing transactions, this, this kind of, not really transactions, operations, units of work, these abstract things through our, our finance application servers like balance, history. These aren't uh, physical things as much as they are conceptual. But I wanted to have an instance counter on a per-transaction basis or per-operation basis. So since we have a, a router through which all these things flow with some very simple bracketing code where I start a high-performance timer and then stop a high-performance timer on the other side of that kind of main do-it block of code, I was able to go and say, if I haven't seen this transaction before, this operation before, create a new performance counter. And after the application runs for a few minutes, it's seen the vast majority of all the different operations that are going to go by and it populated that performance counter list. Hmm. So then somebody can right. look in the performance counter and say, well, how long is the history transaction working, or how long is the, the balances operation taking? And it gives you a lot more granularity. So if you're going to get into performance counters, think about how your data moves from place to place, and think about maybe a time where an instance performance counter would be appropriate. Interesting. Good, good advice, too. Now, do you guys mind if I go back, if we backtrack a little bit? Um, sure. I wanted to ask you something, Scott. Yes, sir. You, are you going to be teaching it uh, at uh, OGI again? I mean, uh, OIT? OIT, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I knew I it was an acronym that started with an O. Yeah, some <laughs> of those O's. Um, so, go ahead. Because if you are out there, I was wondering, um, listen to your whole bit on code generation. Now, I've done a little bit of code generation on my own, but I'm not a pro. I mean, a lot of what I've done has been homegrown, just sort of made up, fabricated on the spot, just totally made up. And it works for me, but I would be absolutely fascinated with an entire class just based on code generation. Have you ever thought about doing anything like that or figuring code generation into your course or anything like that? Wow. You know, in the middle of that sentence, I just had the image of you being escorted off of an airplane because you had too much baggage. <laughs> Was that you that I saw being taken away in handcuffs with your hair as, as, as carry-on? 
<laughs> hey, look, man, I made the hair jokes earlier on in the show. You opened right? the door, baby. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, you know, I'm on the phone, and I still was, was mesmerized by Rory's hair. This usually only happens in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's short right now, and it's it's not looking so good. It's I've got I've that been 80s hair. Up the for the past few days. It's nice. It's sort of a flock of seagulls hair. What'd you say? You know, I look, oh, flock of seagulls hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's Tom. a pop culture reference. It's not only a pop culture reference that Rory would understand, but it's like 15 years before he's born. No, no, no. I know the flock of seagulls oh, thing. The guy right. with the white hair, and he's and he's in the he's in the tinfoil room, and he's got the keyboard, and he's doing the thing. I used to watch cable television. Sure. Howard Jones. Day. Howard Jones. I, I think if you're more as a Barry Gibb. Too brutal. <laughs> um, you know, that's a really good idea. I've thought about doing, I've been talking to the, the guys over at Oregon Institute of Technology. It's a, it's a state school in, in Oregon that uh, is technology focused. It's actually where I graduated from. And uh, I, I've been talking to them about a web services class. And a large part of that is describing how you jump from XML schema and WSDL into. Uh, into web services, but you know that's a really good idea to think about a code generation specific class. I think it'd have to be like a 400 level class or a graduate level class. By yeah, it's not going to be a 101 sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, by teaching someone code gen too too early, you could freak them out, and then they'd be like scarred. Mouths agape. Yeah. Yeah, because I was just thinking that's one of those things that's really getting a lot more uh, mind share right now. I noticed a lot more people talking about code generation, getting excited about it. And it just seems that it's time for somebody to teach that class. And I was thinking, Scott Hanselman, you know. Scott's a teacher. Scott's got the knowledge. Why doesn't Scott do it? But well, you know why people are excited about co-generation. Because we're lazy. Reason. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, I time I, and money. I was worried I was going to have to say that. Time and money is what it comes down to, <laughs> I think. programmers are lazy. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way. I mean this in a you-know-it don't be afraid. To, I, you know, I think laziness share. works for programmers, don't you? I mean, you know, you want to write as little code as possible and still have a product at the end of the day, you know, so that, well, you, can go to, so that you can go to the beach instead of, you know, laboring. Except, you know, the C++, C-sharp guys with the greasy hair, you know, they, they want to write code all day long. Hey, hey, hey C-sharp guys don't have greasy I know, okay, hair. Okay, C-sharp guys, okay, except... As a matter of fact, I have enough time to go to my stylist, me, and right. get the hand massage, the neck massage, the scalp massage. It's still a and half the a day. Therapy, and the shampoo and the conditioning and get everything done. And she asked me how my day has been going. And I said, well, everything's fine. Got out of work early. And I'm a C-sharp guy. It's still half a day of programming versus, you know, two or three hours for programming. So, you know. Yeah. Well, well you know that they say that if, if, if two programmers are given 100 hours to do something, <laughs> the programmer will write for 100 hours. Yeah. The engineer will write a tool for 99 hours and then push a button <laughs> in the last. Yeah. And I think that's true. And you know, I mean, this, these are these are cliches, but they're true. I mean, how do you get an engineer motivated? You tell him it's impossible. Right. You know, I mean, I, God, I was on a I was on a phone I was on a, on a chat rather a couple of days ago with a guy, um, who was trying to. It was pretty cool. Uh, Corey Smith was trying to make. A MSN Messenger plugin for Xbox Live, so you could see in MSN Messenger when your buddies are on Xbox. But he was getting into some, you know, weirdness in in Passport, trying to log into Passport. Hmm. And and I was like, yeah, I, I, I thought it was an interesting idea, but it was three in the morning, and I wasn't really gonna, you know, get into it. So I said, yeah, I think it's impossible, you know. And I think that <laughs> energized him. I think at that point, when I said this is impossible, he he was fired up, and I think he probably coded a couple more hours. 
So, Scott, what do you mean by um, a cast system for APIs? What are you talking about there? Um, a, a, a third-class API would be like um, iDispatch or if you're a comm person um, where you say whatever dot invoke and then you right. pass in a string that says the name of the operation. Yeah. So maybe there's only one interface that has execute and you pass in a string saying what to do and then maybe an object array which is the values of all of the different parameters. So you have a router, you have a dispatching mechanism that's all based on one entry point dot execute. Um, you could argue that like command dot execute on ADO.net is a third class API. Mm. And what's the first thing that you do with a first class API? Third class API is you build a first class one around it. Yeah. When you get SQL Server, you're getting this black box that you send a magic string to, select star from authors in the Northwind database. Regardless of what language that you're writing in, whether you're writing in C Sharp or VB or VB Script, you still have to send in a magic string, and then you get information back. Natively, you get TDS back from SQL Server, but that usually people would say that you get a record set back. And that record set itself is a third-class API because it doesn't say, uh, I say select star from authors. I can't immediately go and say authors dot first name or authors dot last name. I have to say, you know, dot columns quote name of the column dot values da 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 da. da. Right. So these third-class APIs are incredibly flexible uh, at runtime and uh, allow you to do things like that perf counter thing that I was talking about. Right. But uh, from a programmer's point of view, like from the point of view of, a, of an e-finance programmer, like one of the guys that's writing code for me, I want them to sit down and type in Voyager.getaccounts. Yeah. And if there's things going on in the back, I don't really care. So a perfect example of where a .NET programmer today can go and look at a, a, a transition between a first-class and a third-class API is when you go and add a web reference in Visual Studio. Go check right. out the hidden code that they generate. Right. You won't see it in Visual Studio. You actually have to go into your Visual Studio projects, look at your web references folder, and look at the reference.cs file or bb file mm-hmm. that gets created, and you'll see little functions created for every web service operation, and they'll all call a .invoke and pass in a quote with the name of what they really wanted. Mm. Yeah, right. So that's a real important kind of abstraction pattern that people people can remember. I guess, you know, it, it all depends on, a lot of it depends on where you are as a programmer and what the level of complexity and, and modification and customization is required for, for the API itself. If you have a task that is fairly straightforward, is it's always going to be done this way. High-level tools work really well. And as you know, uh, you know, because we've, we've had to deal with high-level tools, say, in VB 3, 4, 5, 6, uh, where you know we quickly bump up against a big a brick wall, and there's no source code there for you to modify. There's nothing for you to override. So one of the cool things about the high-level components in .NET is that the source is there, and you have something better than the source. You have overridable members. Overridable members of the base class, you know, uh, is better than the source because you don't have to figure out this guy's comments and references of this little private variable and that little private variable. You can just override an uh, an overridable sub that gets called by the base class and that does a particular task, and uh, and it's better than having the source code. Just oh, yeah. compile. Delegate. This is yeah. what it's all about. So Let that, somebody else do the work. Right, and that's an interesting thing. You know, these people who who are all up in arms about the Windows source code leak. You know, 
like it's really going to matter. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of people who have found some things and they've they've hacked them. Big deal. Microsoft put out a thing, you know, put out a uh, fix for it, and and it's a done deal. But you know, how useful is a part of the source code of a copyrighted operating system that you're not going to recompile and try to sell? Uh, you know, you're not going to make your own version of you know a list box or something like that. You know, it's it's pretty much useless. I mean, it's an educational tool, and they also uh, have programs in for universities and partners where they give their source code away. So I don't know. That's a little side side thing. But I'm saying the source code is less useful than having an object that's overridable. If the object is rich. If the object is rich. Nothing is more frustrating than getting an object that you think is going to save the world and it's going to be the perfect thing that you need and you either can't override it or it doesn't do what you want it to do. Um, like with Peter's stuff, for example, it's so modular. With Peter Blum's validation controls, it's so modular. He's, he's even taken the concept of validation and split it up even smaller. He's got validator controls, but within those he has condition controls. So validators have collections of conditions. And uh, then you've got enabler uh, properties that you hook conditions up to. And it's this huge hierarchy and you can insert in your own conditions to give a validator a reason to validate or not yeah. um, it's almost overwhelming but for the designer from someone like me it's it's a playground yeah. you know um, but to get an object that maybe only has three or four functions and no hierarchy to speak of and the person didn't put any thought into whether or not someone in the future might use this I mean really does it come down to did the developer design this code for himself this object for himself right. Or for other developers, right? You know, right. We're uh, trying to get uh, a guy on the line here. I have, um, I have his question. Uh, I'll read his question, and we'll see if we can get him on the line. He says uh, he did hear the comment made about Linux being much harder than Windows. He says, "I assume, uh-huh. I assume the caller meant harder to program and not harder to administrate." My first seven years of professional life was Unix kernel programming and then Unix administration. I then switched to the dark side, Windows. While I find Windows more usable, I found uh, Windows harder to administer. Of course, this was seven years ago. Windows has certainly come a long way, baby. What I hate about administering Windows is the black box mentality. And at times, Microsoft engineers really have no idea why Windows does things a certain way. Or why, if you do the opposite of what Windows documentation says, you get the desired results such as in Microsoft Exchange, SMTP, Relaying comes to mind. Linux, Unix in general, is far more understandable as to why and how things are done. Uh, Now for programming. I hated X-Windows programming. I hated Windows MFC coding. Hey, man, I'm with you there. And I hated Java programming. And along comes .NET and Visual Studio .NET. Programming has become fun again. Wow, so we have a Linux convert here. Now, <laughs> now if we could just get the .NET framework ported to Linux or Unix, just imagine. Well, we we are actually working on that, uh, Darren. Well, he can download Mono or Rotor immediately. Absolutely, and, and I'm, I'm sure he, he knows that. At, a perfect example is uh, Source Gear Vault. Right. They've got a Mono front end now, I believe. Wow, that's interesting. With Vault uh, 2.0, I think came out a week and a half ago. SourceGear.com. And Mono, as you know, is uh, maybe uh, is not the educational only. That's rotor. Rotor is rotor the ed- is educational. Mono educational is only. Really Mono being used to do some really useful stuff. Yeah, Mono is you know usable in commercial products because it's a completely different company. 
So, now, one uh, thing I wanted to comment on, if you, you mind if I comment on a couple of his things? Sure. Let me just say really great points. Let me just say, Darren, uh, we're going to send you some. Uh, we're going to send you a game, either an Xbox game, or we might send you a copy of VisualStudio.net. We'll get in touch with you and uh, see what you got and what you need. Thanks for thanks for that message. Go ahead. So, first thing he said was about the black box mentality. Yeah. And I think that as someone who's, I mean, I've been doing Windows since, like, I remember. Like vividly, like it was yesterday, when when our when I was at this company and our our, our first Pentium ninety arrived, yeah, and we loaded Windows three five one, and you know NT three five one and SQL Server four two onto this thing, and then we this is also when <laughs> Word six was out, and we oh. would launch Word six and it Pain. would take like three seconds and we'd freak out. Oh my god, it took only three seconds to load Word. Right, the greatest. Um, <laughs> absolutely, seven eight years ago, black box mentality, yep. big time. Yep. But if you talk to the people inside of Microsoft, that's so that's so changing. And I think Absolutely. the .NET framework is such a good example of saying, here, look at it as a black box, live in the matrix, which is good for the beginner programmer. But if you don't want to, extensibility points galore. Right. Things like reflector, pervasive oh, God, yeah. metadata. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's fantastic. So I no, say that. Sorry, I say that on many shows um, that, you know, it, it seems as though they've got the message. They're listening to the mistakes that have been made on other platforms. And as you say, you know, I, what I do in my class, I show, you know, we, we do a little inheritance demo with some stupid things that don't mean anything, like a customer and a person, and people go, yeah, why do I need that? And then I inherit a text box control, and we look at the list of overridable members, and there's, you know, a whole shitload of them. And what it means is that since members aren't overridable by default, that these guys at Microsoft actually had to go in there and make them all overridable. For what purpose? For the purpose of allowing you, the developer, to to hook into them and to to customize them. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's yeah. There's even there's even more than just the black box mentality, though, right? There's also there's also the idea of the application itself is the black box. I mean, we we've got the whole problem with. Uh, I hear people say this all the time. I used to go into the Yahoo programming chat room and get into arguments with people. It, it, it invariably went to this Windows versus Linux thing as soon as I mentioned that I like C Sharp. See, yeah, hang on a second. <laughs> and, and, I have to interject, Rory. Did you hear what Rory just said? Yeah. Rory just said he went to the Yahoo chat room <laughs> and he went to pick a fight is what I heard, if I remember correctly. He did, basically did I said, that? I went to a bar, I was feeling really Patrick Swayze at the time, and I decided to go and kick some guy's butt. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm looking, right, well, that... What should I do? It's Friday. I think I'll go see if I can piss off some Linux guys, whip them into a frog, you know, frog, get them frothing to the mouth, and then he'll leave and just let them go. And then There's the a little bit of truth go? to that. There's a little bit of truth. I, I'd go in, and I always knew that somebody was going to jump on me as soon as I said that I was a .NET C-sharp guy, and someone always did. Punk. And it wasn't just one person. It would be about 18 people all at the same time, and that's what I love. That's my kind of fight. <laughs> they come in, and they would say, well, you know what? C-sharp sucks ors, and you get that whole deal where everybody's talking lead speak to you and everything. And I say, okay, so what's good? And they say, well, C is good, C++ is good, and Apache is good, and Linux is good. And I say, why is it good? And they say, well, because if something's wrong with Apache, you can just drop in and fix it, and then you can recompile it. And I'm thinking, come on, let's get real here. How many, first of all, you guys are in the Yahoo programming room, all right? You're not the leadest guys on the face of the earth. And second of all, how many of you are really going to go in Make the change to Apache, recompile it, and be up and on your way. Let's be honest here. How many man hours have you been making Apache? The option is there, dude. 
This is like the guys that go to like the uh, the swap meet, you know, and they've got like their their seventy nine, uh, uh, you know, gremlin. Oh yeah, you know, I've been thinking about redoing the engine, on it. man. I'm thinking about taking that whole carburetor off the top there, and you know, replacing it. I, I'm not going to do it, but I'm talking about it. I'm thinking about it. Uh, right. Because yeah, there are people on this planet who will do that, and I know some of them, but they are few and far between. And if you're hanging out in the Yahoo chat room, you're not the person who's going to go and take Apache apart and, quote, fix it. I mean, you don't even know what's wrong with it. You're not going to be able to figure it out. It's just not going to happen. I think so. there are tiers of nerds there. There's like, you know, maybe 10 nerds that actually write the code, and there's probably about 100,000 others that download it and apply it and say, what a good boy am I, you know? Yeah, there's a pretty a big of, difference yeah. between compiling the kernel on Linux and <laughs> making a change to the kernel than compiling it. Right. Or making you know, a working change yeah, to the making kernel. one that builds. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can go in and change it, too. I can write Mary Had a Little Lamb in there if I really want to. And that doesn't mean it's going to build. So you got yeah, to have to have some skill. You, you don't have enough room in the keyboard buffer for that list of command line <laughs> arguments, man. You know, you know how I'd like to see this thing kind of end? I'd like to see it kind of, the whole argument. It feels like those... Um, like Top Gun or Karate Kid or you know any vertical kind of like hobby, whether it be karate or jet fighting or being an ice skater, there's always that bar that they go to after a hard day's work <laughs> doing whatever, you know? And like, you know, Iceman and the Goose are there. And there's always like, the, the, the kid, right? Because like Windows is kind of like the kid. We're getting picked on. We're getting beat up through the whole movie. And at the end, when the perf testing really happens, you know, and we push it past, you know, we push through, do a little tuning, and suddenly we hit, We get the TPC benchmarks ahead. We all go to the bar, and then Val Kilmer's like, you're all right, kid. You know? And then Linux and Windows would get along and be, like, friendly with each other. That's so awesome. A Scott Hanselman Top Gun analogy. You actually have a lot of those. I've noticed that a huge part of your life is built around relating everything back to Top Gun, so I'm glad to hear that. I have a need for speed, my friend. Yeah. Of course, when Anthony Edwards showed up on ER, the whole analogy falls apart, but I, I really try to just gloss over that. <laughs> well, I want to take this opportunity to tell people that, <clears throat> yes, we are going to give away a copy of Windows Server 2003 Enterprise Edition with 25 client-site licenses, uh, thanks to uh, Microsoft who's supplying that. What you have to do is you have to tell me what the secret uh, namespace of the day is, and in order to do that, you go to our website and say, uh, and say, yes, I know it. The website is www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks. We're going to pick at random from the, pop, from the uh, correct answers, and uh, we will, at the end of the show, give that away. Uh, so just go and enter in a message there at uh, www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks. So, Scott, this is a show about .net. I know that uh, we got off on a little tangent there, a much-needed tangent, by the way. Um, other ideas that you've had, blogging trends, uh, Usenet, Google, toolbars. You know, uh, this, this is kind of toolbar-related, but did you see what, on the blogs right now, there's a fellow, I think his name's Don Park, um, and he uh, he was showing a new way to do fishing. Do you know about fishing? Fishing as in with a rod and reel, or fishing, fishing as in P H I S H. Ooh, as in fishing band. is when you get an email from someone in you know Uzbekistan who says, "I, I need your eBay password. Just click here." Oh right, right. I got an email last week from I think it was PayPal, and it said. 
you know, your password's expired, come here and click and put your new password in. And mm -hmm. I did a view source on it from inside of Outlook. And the address, the, the, the thing was pulling images from PayPal, but the address that the form action was going to was in Korea. Yep, I saw the same thing. And I was and like... And I was thinking to myself, wow, this guy's got a pair of grapes on him. Serious balls. He's going to email me. <laughs> yep. you know? Well, what am I going to do? You, you know? send an it's, email it's to like, uh, abuse at wherever his domain is. I suppose. But I mean, it was just bizarre. It's like you know, someone knocks on the door, and it's like, Candyman. Yeah, no, absolutely. Telegram. 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 And I was impressed. I was just like, wow, this, this guy's got some, some huevos. The one I got was, so, uh, was actually a JPEG. That looked like HTML markup, and when you clicked anywhere in the JPEG, it went to some Korean site. Even though, as you said, it was, uh, you know, not not the right address. Yeah. Well, uh, what they had done uh, is this fella had created a JavaScript pop-up. This blogger had created a JavaScript pop-up that um, had a fake toolbar and a fake menu and a fake status bar, all done with images. Wow. He turned off toolbars and turned off images, and huh. basically you would click on it, and he'd enable everything. You know, wow. Back button, forward button, and you're you're there, but you're in a simulated browser. And the point wow. is, the little gold lock is there. Ah, oh. it's done with hmm. JavaScript. Interesting. Now I'm afraid to get my mom on the net now. I mean, in the last year, she's gone from being just, "Hey, it's my mom on the net." To being my mom on the net with Zone Alarm, yep. Spybot Search and Destroy, Absolutely. Norton Antivirus, Spam Soap Service Type Spams Collection, Cloudmark Spam Net, plus Outlook on High Email Filter, you know, Junk Mail, uh, plus you know, I mean, on and on and on. This is like this is a lot of code for me to maintain just to keep it so my mom doesn't see something she shouldn't see. Man, I hear you. It's rough out and there. What, and, and I can tell her if a if a progress bar pops up that says your computer's not optimized. I said, Mom, if, if I'm not the one telling you your computer's not optimized, don't believe anyone else. Right. But how can I, how can I protect her from a complete browser written in JavaScript within another browser? I know I, that freaked me out. And with some of the new stuff that's coming out with uh, IE 6.0 Service Pack 2, I wonder if they'll turn off the ability to shut down the, uh, the status bar. Were you listening to the, last, the first live show that we did, which was also the last live show that we did? Uh, right, but, I listened to the first part, yeah. Yeah, where where Dan Appleman was, we were talking with Dan about this kind of stuff and, uh, you know, all the issues that having the service pack turn, you know, put up an internet firewall by default is going to cause, which is nothing's going to work, and so the answer is turn off the firewall. Right. Exactly. You know, which is unfortunately what most people will do. Because, like, you know, like your Apache guys who are going to be compiling fixes, they're not going to be, you know... I don't even have most of the ports memorized. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even have a link in my favorites going to a list of ports. You know what I mean? I don't know what port my my printer authentication thing is using, and I don't know what port, you know, browsing uh, the network is using. I mean, I should, but my mom certainly doesn't. You know? How's she going to configure Zone Alarm? Well, she she calls me every time the thing asks her a question. <laughs> You You're know, the it, guy, and it's, it's 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 nice for it. If it says something like, um, you know, Microsoft Money wants to connect to the internet, is that okay? She can figure that out. Yeah. But generic host process. Right. What's that? How do I know generic isn't misspelled? Yeah. And it's like 
some evil beast that has jumped onto the machine. Right. Uh, it's a real problem, and it's got me. It's got me concerned. And when I saw that, uh, you know, the only way that I knew that this particular pop-up wasn't legit was that I make my colors and fonts totally goofy, mm. and suddenly it switched to the standard Windows fonts in gray. Oh, interesting. So I mean, hey, the, the moral of the story is mess your fonts up, <laughs> change everything to garish pink and green. You know, go nuts and be uh, criticized by your peers. So uh, where are you speaking? You you do a lot of speaking, right? You're a regional a director. You go around. You talk. You talk at Dev Days and places like that. And uh, where so, are you speaking? Uh, yeah, um, let me think here. In pull up the old Outlook calendar. In March, I'm going to be at VS Live and VBits. Okay. So that's the 25th, 26th, 27th of March. I'm going to be down there uh, at ASP Live and VBits. I'm doing a talk on internationalization. Okay. And then there's a really cool three part talk with Bill Evian. Oh, great. Uh, and Bill Evie and I are going to do a three-part talk on Zen and web services. Awesome. Uh, parts one and two are going to be called Zen of Web Services, the Philosophy, the Implementation, and then Bill is going to do the Power, and he's going to talk about WS security and things like that. So we're going to go from, from basically DNA up till WS Basic Profile 1.0, from soup to nuts at that point. Wow. It's going to be a real cool... Uh, three-part, three-hour talk that Bill and I are going to do in the ASP Live uh, web track. That's going to be cool. Sweet. Um, in April, I'm going to Africa. Awesome. I'm now, your, to, your wife's from Africa, right? My wife, yeah. She's from Zimbabwe. We're going to Morocco, and we'll be at the North Africa Developers Conference. That's Sweet. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be in Casablanca. Wow, I'm jealous. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, then we'll be in South Africa and Zimbabwe, so we'll be gone for the month. And then uh, coming into May, I've got some some uh, credit union technology council, and uh, we've got uh, TechEd coming up, don't we? At the end of yep. May. Yeah. When is, is that? What we wanted to do? Yeah. End of May. I we'll think, both be uh, speaking there, actually. Yeah, well, I think twenty uh, third through twenty eighth there at TechEd. Yeah. And uh, and then Always there's an fun. MVP summit coming up too. So there's lots of opportunities to to hang out and network with folks. Do you do the uh, Portland Nerd Dinner with Rory and Chris Sells out there? I, I do, but I missed the recent. Portland Nerd Dinner because I had just got my eyes lasered the day before. Ah, uh, so so yeah. I Rory, what did, you, what he did was they there serve? the time before to make fun of my hair, so it was cool. What did yeah. they serve at the last Portland Nerd Dinner, Rory? What was the slop? It's always slop. Yeah, we go to this <laughs> mall court, and <laughs> food court. I have uh, brown mound of stuff. Oh, see now I'm like envisioning the Four Seasons here. You know the, you know like a highbrow sort of get together. You know sponsored <laughs> oh, no. by some company. Envision again. <laughs> <laughs> no, and at the last one, there there was there was like a there was like a Maury Povich level fight going on in the mall too, about three tables down from us, just everybody screaming at each other. It was something. Right, you know, the, 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 the air are pretty cool. This is Maury Povich level. That's not even, you know, <laughs> Oprah level. That's not even Jerry Springer level. Talk about it's a caste like, system. It's one step away from Good Day Oregon, <laughs> which I've never seen, but I can only imagine. <laughs> So what are you doing with Whidbey these days? Got to uh, you know, I got to ask that. Whidbey's I'm waiting. For, I'm waiting for it to come out so I can put the thing into production. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Uh, there's huh? some really cool stuff going on around the Whidbey early adopter stuff, but uh, you know, I'm I'm dealing with uh, some pretty sensitive information as far as finance and such. And as much as I'd like to go live with something like that, my yeah, you can. Uh, and I'm sure it would be fine. My uh, my banks will never let me do it. So right. I am following the uh, the 
the tales of uh, Scott Guthrie and Rob Howard with uh, with much much interest. Whidbey is going to uh, kick complete ass. I totally agree. Not only in the web stuff, but in the Windows forums, one click. The VBNet languages, you know, is getting a lot of great new stuff. What do you think about that? Uh, about the where the languages are going? Do you think that uh, that uh, a lot of people are um, switching to C sharp just because of perception or something? If they had programmed in VBNet you know, before, that's an unfortunate thing. There was a recent entry on a blog where a guy was saying, uh, you know, two three years into it here, uh, there's still support for roughly 30 languages, but realistically, people are only going live with VB.net and C sharp, yeah. and even more, there's bigotry. Where people somehow think they're going to get an extra ten grand a year if they program with a language that has C at the beginning of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Somehow, an angle bracket, you know, gets you more money. I actually got an email from a guy who said we're at a crossroads. We have a sort of a hybrid application that's mostly VB6, and we want to. We've done some VBNet, and we're all VB programmers. But we're, we, you think this is a good time to switch to C Sharp? He says, and uh, he said, you know, he knows that that Microsoft is supporting the language, but he has a perception that they're supporting it more. Like they're like there's the perception that it's the professional language and VB is still the dick around toy language. Which hmm. is completely bullshit. And you know and so I, mean, I told I really him, feel don't sugarcoat it, Carl. I it's <laughs> un, it, it infuriates me and I and I emailed him back and I said, Now you're basically telling me that you know that this is not true, and yet you're doing it anyway. So what's up with that? And, so you're going to help support that perception by taking part in it. Yeah. Right? Now, what? What? It, basically, the the issue may be just Microsoft's issue of, you know, having more sample code in VBNet, having more magazines that publish VBNet samples. You know what I mean? And uh, and that's what it comes down to. Or or e- even having developers that publish articles provide sample code in both languages. I think maybe makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't think people have to. I, you know, here's another thing that here's another thing that supports my argument that you know these languages are driven by companies within Microsoft. They, you can call them divisions or departments, but they're really like these companies that have their own autonomy. And yes, they do have you know communication from on high and across languages and things like that. And there's a lot of coordination, but they're basically wake up in the morning and say, how can I make my language better? And the VBNet team does that, and the C Sharp team does that. So there's nobody up at the, you know, pulling the strings, the marionettes above them saying they're going to give more money and support to the C Sharp team than they are to the VBNet team. They're spending millions of dollars on VBNet would be. You know what I mean? To oh, make yeah, it totally. to make it better. They're they're putting in stuff that you won't even believe. Um so I don't buy it. And stick with VB. And I'm gonna stick with VB. And you should, too, if you're a VB programmer out there. Don't let public perception or your perception of public perception persuade you otherwise. You know, you got to be careful with that, though. It's almost like saying, come on, guys, drink tab. <laughs> you know, come on. Just as good. Oh, come on. Uh, RC Cola, really. No, a, no, no. alternative to Diet Coke. <laughs> Look, if you're a VB programmer, why you, you shouldn't switch to C Sharp. You're going to be more productive in your language. Yeah, yeah, that's a really valid point. If you've been coding in VB for six years, do you really think you want to get with the semicolon crowd? No more than I want to go in and start doing if, then, else, and also. Right. I cannot go as fast. I cannot be as productive. And if I don't really know the language I'm speaking, I mean, Rory, you speak French, right? Oui, but, there you go. <laughs> but are you going to pick French as the language you're going to use to most effectively express yourself? When I want to impress girls. But uh, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> 
Work with me here. I kiss you. Sorry, sorry. No, I mean, yeah. Other than that, no, I'm not not going to do it. I've got a couple extra languages too, but you know, I speak like you know, either somewhere between an infant and a four-year-old. You know, I cannot express that. So either I can spend the next thirty years trying to become as good at another language as I am presumably at English, uh, or I can stick with the language that's working for me. To, to, to switch is to not only dumb down yourself, but make it more difficult to express programmer intent. Because really, what is a programming language but something to convert whatever language you speak, English, Chinese, whatever, into some intent that will be expressed to the computer. And if yeah. you pick are, a language you, that is ineffective... Are, uh, are you sure, though? Because I, I look at this stuff, I look at a lot of the code I'm writing, and I'm thinking that if I just got rid of the semicolons and if I got rid of the curly braces... Yikes. Then it's not looking that different from PBS stuff. <laughs> He's been abducted by aliens, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that was special. That was very special. I think Rory made his point. Maybe he doesn't speak English very well. <laughs> He's having bandwidth issues, I think. Is uh, he Skyped in or is he doing this over the phone? He Skyped in, actually. That's why he's been sort of cutting in and out, so... Apparently somebody was just downloading a big porno movie right in next door to him and and usurped his bandwidth. Fantastic. But I that's think got to that, have that uh, secure wireless network otherwise some ward ward driver is going to nail you. <laughs> right. Right. Man, I can't wait till he comes out here. And you know, I speaking of nerd dinners, he's uh, you know, this nerd dinner that you guys do out in Portland. We're getting uh-huh. one going on out here in New England too, so when he comes out here in March, we're going to be able to and and also I might I, I might just add here we have six or seven or eight or nine seats in the studio while we're recording .NET Rocks, so if anybody's local and wants to just bomb over to New London on Fridays at noon, um, then we can uh, we can accommodate you, we'll give you a set of headphones. New London, where is that? Well, it's like London, but it's new. It's halfway between Boston and New York, actually. Yeah. So you literally are in the middle of nowhere. I've taken the train between Boston and New York. Wow. Well, you went right through New London. I did. I would have waved had I known. <laughs> You'll have to come back. Well, anyway, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, the the and and I'm sorry, Rory. You know, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you later. Uh, we had expressed the uh, secret namespace of the day of the week, rather. I guess it's of the day, of the week because you know we do the show once a week. And it was system.web.services. And we just picked a random winner, and that is Jack Lamb from Yellowfish. Hey, Jack. Congratulations. You're the proud owner of a bouncing baby box of uh, Windows 2003 server. Congratulations. That's the full version? That's the enterprise version with 25 client licenses. Wow, you guys aren't screwing around. No. That's like a, what is it, a $5,000, $10,000 box, something like that? Wow, you should do the whole drum roll thing again just to make it real clear what just happened. Yeah, no, it's... There it is. And Rory's on IM. He says, this is why I'm moving to New London. (laughs) Free stuff? Or or to help the clapping? No, 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 just because of his uh, audio thing here. It keeps well, now, hanging now up. Now we on know him. the answer why uh, why telephones are not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. So Scott, I guess we'll catch you. Uh, I'm going to catch you sometime in the future, probably a tech ed. Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll obviously be on that great 
great uh, alias at the regional director's mailing list. Rory says, tell everybody I said goodbye. Goodbye, Rory. Thanks. He gave me a wink through IM. And so uh, and so we wrap up another stellar edition of .NET Rocks. Scott, on behalf of myself and Rory and uh, Jeff Maciolik behind the uh, audio controls and Karen Caballero, our announcer, and uh, everybody out there who put up with us and in, in, in working through our bandwidth issues, thank you very much. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Good day, Scott.